You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is your faithful editor and host, Michael Litchens, here with a very special guest, Dr. Anthony Lillis. His name might sound familiar. We uh, published some of his stuff in the past on CatholicExchange.com, but he is the academic dean and associate professor of theology at St. John's Seminary. He's also a founding faculty member of St. John Vianney Theological Seminary, where he was academic dean for nine years. Recently, he's written a fantastic little book called Fire From Above, which is all about contemplation, mystical wisdom. Honestly, it's one of the best introductions I've ever read to learning how to be a mystic. So it's our pleasure to welcome him. And Anthony, welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Well, thank you very much for having me today, Michael. It's great to be with you. Always our pleasure. And so, to get us started today, I wanted to ask, uh, right from the beginning, you start talking about the prayers offered by the Martyrs of Libya in 2015, which I know for me and many of our listeners is fresh in our minds, and honestly, I don't know if I'll ever forget that. But what does the prayer of someone about to be martyred have to do with the heights of Christian contemplation? In the ancient church, uh, the the fathers and doctors of the church uh, reflected on uh, the martyrs, because there had been so many uh, in the early centuries of the church, uh, uh, persecutions would uh, sporadically come on, and they noticed that um, as Christians approached their death, they were given a beautiful um, gift of grace to stand fast and to be faithful to the Lord all the way to the end. And they also noticed uh, that their the prayer of the martyrs uh, as it um, as it came closer and closer to their death, uh, became more and more Christ-like. And for that reason, they held up the martyrs in general, but also their prayer as the, 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 the heights or the model or the standard for the kind of prayer that we should all uh, strive to have in our lives. A prayer that is completely confident in God, a prayer that uh, subordinates the things of this world to the things of God, uh, a prayer uh, that looks looks to heaven and and looks to Jesus and um, and rises above all fear, and um, and this is exactly what we have with the martyrs uh, of of Libya, uh, the the twenty men who uh, twenty one men who were martyred, twenty of them were Christian, uh, they were from Ethiopia and they were from Egypt. Mm-hmm. And um, they uh, they were uh, given the opportunity to renounce Jesus Christ, and um, and rather than renounce Jesus Christ, each of them uh, each of them remained uh, faithful to the Lord. In fact, if you uh, listen to recording, it's still available on the internet. You can hear them actually praying, "Come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus, come, Lord Jesus," and. Um, and for that response of, uh, uh, of prayer, uh, they were slammed to the ground and their heads cut off, uh, one uh, after another. The 21st man was uh, Matthew Ayirga, and his story helps us understand the power and the strength and the beauty of the prayer of the martyrs and why the prayer of the martyr, martyrs um, is the ultimate standard for all Christian prayer. Um, he saw uh, the 20 men. He was captured like them. These men, mm-hmm. they were 18 to 20, 24, 25 years old. They were young men with wow. young families. And um, 
and he saw them. He had also come to Libya looking for work, and uh, he wasn't Christian. He wasn't baptized like they were. Uh, we don't really know how exposed he was to Christianity before that day on the beach. But we do know that uh, when his captors came and they said, we know you're not Christian, but if you will renounce Jesus Christ, we will allow you to live today. Uh, uh, Matthew Ayirga, uh, he he looked at the his brothers who were killed and he said, uh, this day their God is my God. And... Um, in other words, he saw their witness all the way to the end, and um, and he chose to stand with them, even though it would cost him his life. And I think the reason why he chose to stand with them is because what they saw he saw was something beautiful. He saw something deep in the human spirit that can't be manipulated by power or oppressed uh, uh, by by those who, uh, by others who are using force. Uh, a freedom so great and so powerful he wanted to be part of that he wanted to be in solidarity mm-hmm. with that and so uh, he stood with them in the faith and um, and that's a little sign and witness to us uh, he, he was what you'd call a, a, a martyr by blood and uh, when somebody sheds their their uh, blood for the Christian faith uh, even if they're not uh, otherwise baptized uh, we, we call them martyrs because they They've witnessed with their blood to the truth of Jesus Christ, and he was able to do that because of the prayer, uh, the prayers of those those twenty men on that beach. Uh, their prayers changed his life. I'll say, I mean, that's a real testament, and I can only imagine the gift of faith that must be needed and given at that moment. Must, I mean, obviously, I can't even exp- think of how that would do. I only have my imagination, but. There, it's a pretty powerful gift of faith, all in all. Yeah, and that's. Uh, it, thank you for drawing attention to that. This gets to a major uh, characteristic of what mm-hmm. contemplation is and what mystical wisdom is. It is first and foremost a gift from above. Uh, the title "Fire from Above" sure. uh, is uh, speaks about this gift that God has given us through Jesus Christ, so that when we have faith in Him. There's a new kind of prayer that is born in our hearts. And that prayer uh, can change not only our lives, but the lives of everyone and everything around us. And so that, that's why this, this kind of prayer is so needed. Other forms of prayer and meditation from other religious traditions uh, uh, don't make the same claim that I just made. Uh, they, don't, it, they don't claim to, it, that they pray from a gift that is from out of this world. They don't claim... Uh, they don't claim that um, that that their uh, prayer necessarily accesses the the deep the deep things of God uh, and, and uh, the hidden mysteries of who He is in the vastness of His love and mercy for us. Uh, but Christians do, and Christians believe we we have this because Jesus Christ merited it for us on the cross. And so, what you just said about this is a great gift, the gift of faith is absolutely mm-hmm. right and it's a gift so so beautiful that uh, if anyone's listening and they don't think they have this gift in their lives I encourage them to ask for it because it makes all the difference in life absolutely and also uh, just talking about the gift of faith and some incredible mystics you include a chapter on Elizabeth of the Trinity who has not been canonized just yet but I was curious about that why a chapter 
devoted to such mystic. Yeah, this uh, this chapter comes right after a, a chapter on the Holy Trinity, and uh, and there's um, uh, the the first reason is uh, she died in 1906, and um, mm-hmm. she is the only um, the the only uh, uh, mystic quoted in the Catholic Church from the 20th century. Uh, the, the the catechism quotes other documents and official teachings of the church, but as as far as uh, quoting quoting someone who had devoted their life to prayer, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, Blessed Elizabeth is is the only one from the 20th century, and wow. so it's and so that the, obviously uh, John Paul II and those who contributed to the catechism of the Catholic Church understood that she had something important to offer us. And, um, and indeed, as far as a witness to what contemplative prayer is and uh, what mystical wisdom is, uh, Blessed Elizabeth, uh, and I, I had the opportunity of interviewing uh, Carthusians uh, in Europe and America and um, in other uh, contemplative religious um, mm-hmm. of, of, from around the world, uh, they, uh, they're, they're pretty unanimous that Blessed Elizabeth has done more to help contemplatives recover devotion to the persons of the Trinity in their prayer than all the tomes of theology that were written throughout the 20th century. Wow. Uh, she, she, her command of the scriptures, her command of the other mystics, her focus on the living presence of God uh, that dwells within us, Mm-hmm. Uh, has has opened the door and helped uh, a lot of people pray. That's fantastic. Yeah, I know I've seen her name before, and she's definitely someone I should probably read. But that was something that struck me. Actually, your book made me want to read her a little bit more. It's like, oh, should probably pick that up sometime. Yeah, she. Uh, in fact, she's going to be canonized on October 16th in Rome by Pope Francis. Oh, wonderful. And yeah, so um, so it's a, a, going to be a wonderful day for the church, and um, you know she was a contemporary of Therese of Lisieux, so um, uh, this uh, this will also in a, uh, help the church remember again our newest one of our newest doctors of the church, Saint Therese, help us revisit because um, uh, because Saint Therese actually impacted Elizabeth of the Trinity, you, and Elizabeth you almost have an echo of the spiritual. Mm-hmm. A message of Therese of Lisieux, but in a whole new way. Um, and then here in Los Angeles, uh, uh, on uh, November 6th, we're going to have a special Mass of Thanksgiving. Archbishop Gomez is going to celebrate it um, at San Therese Parish in, in Alhambra. So, so right now, a lot of people might not know a lot about Elizabeth of the Trinity, but um, I think she is a uh, a star that is uh, is dawning on the horizon, and that she's going to help a lot of people rediscover the gift of prayer in their lives. Sounds like it. That's exciting. And uh, you also include some other great mystics and theologians. Like I remember, there's a early chapters that talk about the conversions of Saint Anthony of the Desert, Saint Augustine, Saint Teresa of Avila among many, many others. Can you tell me why is their witness to prayer so important for the life of the church today? The the first reason uh, is oftentimes when we approach something like prayer, uh, we kind of think the struggles that we are having are so particular to ourselves that no one else has ever experienced them. And uh, as you go through the life of of Antony or Augustine or, or Teresa of Avila, 
you'll notice that uh, their struggles were very ho uh, human, very normal struggles, uh, and uh, and you begin uh, as you uh, learn about them, you begin to identify uh, with them a little bit, and as you identify with them, you go, boy, God was able to bring them through this thing in their lives. Maybe He can get me through this thing in my life, and uh, so they. They're signs of hope uh, when we uh, look at their stories. One of the things that binds uh, Antony, Augustine, and Teresa is that uh, all three of them uh, uh, are interrelated. Uh, Antony's story actually, St. Antony's story actually influences the conversion of St. Augustine. St. Augustine's story and St. Antony's story influence the conversion of St. Teresa of Avila. But one of the things all three of them have in common is they have a living encounter with the presence of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, this that living encounter with the presence of God, this is what uh, I, I uh, think our tradition identifies as mystical wisdom. Uh, mystical wisdom is a living awareness of the presence of God that transforms our life, uh, that changes uh, the way we live and the way we relate to other people, the way we we relate to God. It allows mm -hmm. us to be devoted to Him. And Antony, Augustine, and Teresa, um, uh, all of them in different ways show us that the obstacles to that kind of awareness are overcome by God Himself if we say yes to Him. And and so um, so these are the reasons I believe it's so important. We we live at a time where we need we need to say yes to the gift of prayer again. And oftentimes people don't say yes. They think they're too busy, mm -hmm. or they think, or they feel too distracted, or or any number of things, or they're not worthy. And if you look very carefully, you know Saint Teresa of Avila. Uh, one of the reasons why uh, she prayed early on, she led a devout life, and then she stopped praying because she didn't think she was worthy. Uh, she thought she had too many worldly attachments. Wow. And But but God brought her through that experience. Uh, Saint Augustine, uh, uh, he his his uh, uh, conversion. Some people think that they're they're not worthy because their 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 lives are too sexualized. They're involved in bad relationships or or other other things, and they don't see how they can uh, have God and have this other thing in their life. And and they're right, God. If you choose God, there's things in your life that will have to change. And and just like people today might be anxious. Can I do this? Can I let go of this? And is God going to be enough for me? St. Augustine is a uh, uh, the sign of someone who had the very same struggle, and God broke through and gave him a word of hope. He's, he, after he read uh, a, a passage from St. Paul, he said, the light of God's confidence flood, flooded my soul. And the same is true with St. Anthony. Some people think that their lives are too busy taking care of everybody else and taking care of things, they don't have time to pray. And just like in, was the case with Teresa of Avila and St. Augustine, mm -hmm. St. Anthony also uh, experienced the breaking through of God, uh, the, the, the words of Holy Scriptures grabbing hold of his heart and, and opening up for him a new gift of prayer. Very good. And that's something that I think is so important today because uh, oftentimes, uh, maybe it's because we're all cultural Calvinists, as Cardinal George said, but oftentimes in Catholicism, people have this idea that they need to be perfect, then they can start praying and go into church, when in fact it's quite the opposite, that we have to actually 
approach God, and then he can start us on the path to conversion. Yep. Uh, yeah, if we... Uh, uh, it, it, it's funny that that we think that, but it's a very human way of thinking. Sure. It's almost as if if we think uh, uh, holiness is is our own achievement, and it's it's really not. It's God's achievement in us, mm-hmm. and and just like the Virgin Mary, we say yes to what God is doing, and and that means sometimes he, God, what He asks is very hard, and so we have to work hard. But just when um, in all our efforts, we discover our weakness and we seem to be failing. That's when God's power at work in us does the most beautiful things. And uh, and that's what I want the readers of, of this book to go away with, is that uh, their efforts to respond to God, no matter how feeble, um, uh, allow God, they open up for God space for Him to do something beautiful, glorious inside them. And um, and that they can be confident in that, and they can trust in that. If we approach God confidently with trust and humility, there is no end, no limit to what he can achieve inside us. Amen to that, absolutely. And on the subject of the Virgin Mary, a uh, favorite Catholic question, but why is devotion to Mary essential for growth in contemplative prayer? Well, she is uh, in and of herself kind of the model for uh, contemplative prayer. Remember, in the scriptures, uh, we we hear it said um, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, she pondered all these things in her heart. I believe that phrase shows up three times. She pondered all these things in her heart. And, um, and, and what that means is that uh, she looked at the things that God was doing and she accepted them into her heart, and she thought about them. She thought, what, what, what is this that you are revealing to me about yourself? And what are, is it that you're revealing to me about, um, about your divine plan? And as she, mm-hmm. she pondered that, it became a source of strength in, in, in her life. And it carries her all the way to, to the cross of her son. She, she is standing there at the foot of the cross, uh, uh, under the cross of her son, uh, and it's under the cross that um, she's given to the beloved disciple, and the beloved disciple takes her in, in her home. If if we take her in to our homes, if we make space for Mary in our lives, uh, we open ourselves up. We provide an occasion for Mary to help us, to teach us, to form us um, in the great movements of love that she saw. Um, she's, she witnessed uh, uh, Jesus uh, as he died on the cross and offered uh, his last breath for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, she, she can teach us to pray like Jesus did on the cross for the glory of the Father and for the salvation of not only our lives but the lives of everyone around us. Uh, and she's ready to do that because she's our, our mother. She's been entrusted to us by Jesus. We're the beloved disciple. We make space for her in our homes. We open up our homes to her, and in, in a special way, we open up um, uh, our our, the, our prayer life to her. Uh, she she is ready uh, and and actually eager to help us draw close to Jesus. She wants us to have a a deep and abiding and meaningful relationship with her Son, and um, and just like she says in the scriptures, she she can say to each one of us. Uh, time and time again, go do everything, go do anything he tells you. 
she she is the one who points to him. Hmm. Very good. And uh, our penultimate question, something that intrigued me about your book in the latter half, there's a discussion on the need to forgive in order to remove obstacles for our prayer life. Uh, you also claim in your book that sometimes the Lord can permit someone in our lives who deeply offends and might even wound us. Uh, can you go a little bit into that with us? Tell us uh, why would God permit something like that to happen and what that helps us with? Surely, you know, the Catechism of the Catholic Church um, in its commentary on the Our Father at the very mm-hmm. end, and part four on prayer, it it, um, it reflects on the line that Jesus, uh, where Jesus taught us to pray, uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And um, in reflecting on those lines, the Catechism says, uh, on our own, we are powerless to forgive or forget an offense. But the heart that submits itself to the Holy Spirit will learn compassion for those who've wounded it and um, and learn how to intercede. And uh, and from that, I, I did a little theological reflection uh, pondering the lives of those who've suffered grave injustices that somehow came out holy uh, instead of bitter. And I thought, what was it? What was it? And in in every case, uh, as I studied uh, their lives, um, I discovered that they forgave their persecutors and that they prayed wow. for their persecutors. And I began to wonder if sometimes, whether God sometimes permits people to wound us and hurt us, because he knows that that person needs a uh, an intercessor, someone to pray for them. Mm-hmm. And so he permits something that awful to happen, because he's uh, he's concerned for our salvation and concerned for the salvation of this other person in our life, and if we can learn to pray for them, uh, um, his uh, his power can be at work and do something so beautiful and raise us up in holiness. So this is the major object in contemplative prayer is um, a, a major obstacle rather in contemplative prayer is a lack of forgiveness in our lives. But if we learn to forgive, that can be the threshold to the deepest kind of encounter with Christ. Very good. And yes, you go over that so wonderfully within this book. And now, uh, finally, to end our interview today, Dr. Lewis, can you tell me where would we go if we want to learn more about your work, more about this book, or anything like that? Where can we go to start learning? Well, um, uh, first, if you want to get the book, of course, going to the website of Sophia. Uh, Sophia uh, Institute uh, 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 dot com. Uh, it's a uh, uh, and there are a lot of other wonderful resources mm-hmm. um, at Sophia Institute. So I highly recommend people go there. I'm I'm a huge fan of their uh, von Hildebrand collection. Yes, <laughs> me too. <laughs> and and and, uh, and so that that's the the first place. Um, but also um, uh, I, I'm uh, I work. At the Avila Institute with uh, Dan Burke, mm-hmm. and uh, part of the uh, Avila Institute is to offer courses to people who want spiritual formation, and uh, part of it is to support a website called SpiritualDirection.com, and on that uh, website there are a lot of really wonderful uh, uh, articles by a, a whole array of different spiritual writers, and I think these are these are a couple places you can go to. Uh, to find food for prayer and to strengthen your heart uh, 
uh, uh, so that your devotion can can grow. Uh, but we need the point is, and, and I like your question. The point is, we all need spiritual food to go we grow. We need yes. we we need to be thinking uh, 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 about what has been given to us by God. And fortunately, we live at a time. Uh, where we can access uh, some of the most beautiful writings by the great saints and mystics, by people like Dietrich von Hildebrand, but also by some of the contemporary writers today, um, who, whom uh, who, who the Church has been blessed with, and and so uh, so uh, do you, um, I, I think uh, I think we're, we're we live in an incredibly blessed time today. Mm. Yeah, we do. And uh, yes, I recommend all those websites. We'll put those links up on CatholicExchange.com so anyone who's listening on their phone or whatever, just go to CatholicExchange.com. You'll see links to SpiritualDirection.com, Sophie and Stu Press, and as well as all the other resources we've been talking about today. But otherwise, I wanted to thank you very much, Dr. Lose, for coming on here, for gracing us with some more insight. And again, thank you for so much for writing your helpful book. Well, Michael, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to have this conversation, and uh, I look forward to collaborating with you in the future. As do I. Thank you very much, Dr. Lewis.